oh, the days of technology. I was feeling warm, so I went and turned that one down. And I thought, well, I better turn that one down so these guys don't get warm. And somebody on their phone did it for me already. It's turned down over there. So thank you, whoever did that. (laughs) We're in the book of Genesis. Uh, This is the second to the last sermon. We're in Genesis 49, 49, and uh, I'm going to miss the book of Genesis, so if you're here for the first time, you're coming at the very end of a, of a year and a half study in the book of Genesis, we will uh, be going over into Colossians in just a couple weeks. So, What is it that goes into making you who you are these are these are the forever questions right is it genetics or is it upbringing right you kind of have that debate is it god's sovereign hand or is it your free choices for the 12 sons of israel And their descendants. It was the word of their father. Spoken individually to each of them. Now that seems very strange to our ears. As a culture we place far more weight. On our personal choices. Choose your own destiny. Be who you want to be. Part of being made in the image of God is that you have a will. And God certainly holds us accountable for our choices, both good or bad. We saw that at the end of our scripture reading today. But there's something else that the Bible teaches It's called covenant headship. Now, I have to take a few moments to try to even explain this to you, because unless you've been in a covenant church and been taught kind of covenant theology, it's something really new. It's kind of strange to us. So I'm just going to take a few minutes in this, not long, and I'm certainly not going to explore it in detail, but hopefully it'll be helpful to you in understanding the passage today. A covenant is a formal relationship with rules. Marriage is an example of a covenant relationship. The couple doesn't get to establish the rules for themselves. God has established the rules of marriage from the beginning. One man, one woman for their entire life. That's the rules. Every human being lives in a covenant relationship with God. You don't have to be covenantal. To believe this. Every human being lives in a covenant relationship with God. God has established the rules of this covenant from the very beginning. You don't get to rewrite them. You don't get to edit them or change the rules. And for starters, he is Lord of the covenant. He's the master. He's in charge, not us. There's a lot more that can be said about covenant, but you'll, you'll get this as time goes on here. Headship. Headship. Headship is the idea of representation. One person 
stands over a larger group as its rep- representative. And that person's choices affect the future of the whole group. Now, how a person becomes covenant head can be varied. Ultimately, in our relationship with God, it is God who determines who the covenant head is. But let me be a little bit more democratic in our, our situation today. Let's just assume that we needed to have one covenant head for this whole congregation. And here's the deal. You get to choose them. You get to choose who this representative will be. But here's how it works. Whoever you choose will have to run around this building. This is, this is the illustration. Don't think we're going to do this right now. Um, whoever this representative is is going to have to run entirely around this building in less than 30 seconds. Okay? If this person succeeds, I will give every one of you $100. You get that? But if this person doesn't succeed, every one of you have to give me $100. You like that? <laughs> so the getting of $100 or the giving of $100 depends on that one representative. That's what's happening. Okay? Now, I don't know who you would choose. I hope you'd choose somebody young. I know, uh, I know I can look out there and see a few people, but you may or may not like the idea of a covenant head. But like it or not, you already have a covenant head. This is the way God has established human beings. Every person to have ever lived has Adam as their covenant head. And it just so happens in his test, he failed. And his failure is our failure. Adam was not chosen democratically. Sorry, you didn't get to choose Adam for yourself. He was chosen by God, but trust me, you could not have done a better job. Adam's failure is our failure, because he is our covenant head. Now, God in his mercy, just after Adam plunged the world into sin, promised to redeem a people for himself. And he promised to do this by a redeemer. This redeemer would be a descendant of Adam and Eve, but this redeemer would also be a new covenant head head. And where Adam failed, this man would succeed. Now, originally, God didn't say exactly who this guy was. He just said he was going to come. That's the idea of waiting. The promise of blessing would be joined to this new covenant head. And you and I know that that's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ secures for us eternal blessing because he has merited the victory. He has been perfect in every way. He has won the victory for us. He has run around the building in 30 seconds and therefore bestows blessing on all those who are in him. That's covenant headship. Now what you need to understand is that in order to understand the greatness of having Jesus as our covenant head, the Old Testament 
presents to us many lesser covenant heads. And every one of them comes up short. You could have Abraham, you could have Moses, you could have David. All of them in some way are smaller covenant heads. But they don't bring about the blessing because they're not perfect. And with each new failure, God drives his people to yearn for the true covenant head. The one that they would need. And that's what's happening in our passage today. So with that being said, let's read the, the first couple chapters, or first couple verses of Genesis 49. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob, listen to Israel your father. Now Jacob's calling his family together. It's kind of like he's reading to them a last will and testament. The only difference is they haven't actually gotten what is in the last will and testament. So Jacob wants to bestow upon his kids this future existence in the promised land, only they don't have the promised land. It's like giving your kid a a will, which you were hoping that they would get. They haven't got it yet. He brings all his kids together, and he wants every son to hear the whole blessing. So, So in a sense, there is only one blessing that is being given to the whole family, and yet, at the same time, each individual son will have their own particular blessing suitable to them. Also, you need to understand in this passage that it is written in the form of a poem, uh, by its very nature, poems are difficult to understand. <laughs> so you're going to have some things that are difficult here, at least for me. I'm not a great poet, but uh, some things that are challenging to pin down, that's fine. But it's, it's important that you see, you will not under- get this passage unless you understand that every one of these 12 sons functions as a covenant head to their particular tribe. That's very important to see. And especially with the first ones, the first three, we will see that the relative obedience or disobedience of the son will affect the destiny of their kids. Okay, that's what's happening. So in verses three and four, we see Reuben. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first fruits of my strength, preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power, unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it, he went up to my couch. Now, I don't know about you, but if you happen to be a descendant of Reuben, you wouldn't really like this blessing, would you? Reuben was a guy that had great, uh, he had a great start, he was the firstborn, and yet he ruins it by his actions. And all of his descendants after him, at least in part, are kind of stuck with a bad blessing. Okay? And we know from the book of Genesis that Reuben messed this up because he actually had slept with his, uh, his father's uh, wife's concubine, trying to gain more power himself. So he was purposely seeking power. And he, in doing this, he actually ruins the covenant blessing for his posterity. Scary thought. Now, what is it that is taken away from Reuben? 
Well, he loses his power. He loses his honor. And if you look at the history of Reuben, there are no prophets, judges, priests, or kings that ever come from the tribe of Reuben. Reuben receives a piece of land east of the Jordan River. Now, you can't see this very clearly, but it is over here, right in this area here. Uh, There's Reuben, then there's Gad. um, But he receives this piece of land on the outskirts, and it won't take very much time for Reuben to just kind of cease to be its own distinct tribe. It kind of gets caught up in Gad's uh, region. But not very good. Now, this is the key point. If you were a descendant of Reuben, what would you be thinking? I'm going to tell you what I'd be thinking. Can I get a new covenant head, please? Is there anybody else I can have? Because my great-great-great-grandfather messed it up. And I think that is the point. Verses 5 to 7, we deal with Simeon and Levi. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul not come into their counsel. Oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men, and in their willfulness they hamstruck oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Now, these are handled together because uh, Simeon and Levi acted in concert with the fiasco with the Shechemites, where they basically wipe out a whole people for one man's sin. Reuben wrongly sought power. Simeon and Levi unjustly seek revenge. Both of those are unworthy of our true covenant head. Now, at the time, we weren't really sure how Jacob felt about their actions, but now it's clear (laughs) they acted wrongly. And in doing so, they actually bring a curse upon their descendants. Wow. And they get divided in the promised land. They get scattered in Israel. And this plays itself out in two ways. So Simeon gets its inheritance down here, It is enveloped by the entire land of Judah. So that Simeon actually also ceases to become their own own tribe. They just kind of get swallowed up in Judas. Levi, you kind of know what happens to Levi because they then become the priests, which is a good thing. But they get no land inheritance. They get scattered throughout the rest of the land of Israel. So both of them are scattered. Again, what would a member of these tribes be thinking? Can I get a new covenant head? In verses 8 through 12, Jacob gives them hope. Your brothers, Judah, shall praise you. Your hands shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him. 
And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, of the nations. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine, he washed his garments, his garments in wine, and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. Now what you need to understand here is unlike the first couple, the first three men, there's no statement of Judah's having done something good or not done something good, right? It's just a statement, Judah, you are going to be blessed. We know, though, from Judah's past that it was a shaky one at best. We know that. But this blessing that, that Jacob gives to Judah is not a blessing for Judah alone. It's not even just for his tribe, It will bless all the tribes. In fact, it will actually bless all the nations. Period. Judah is not receiving blessing because he has lived a perfect life, because he's this perfect covenant head, but because in his line will come the one who will be the perfect covenant head. And so he makes these statements. Your brothers are going to praise you. Your your hand will be on the neck of your enemies. You'll conquer all your foes. Your father's sons will bow down to you. You will have rulership. People will love you. They They will love your rulership. These are all statements of Jesus Christ. The imagery is, I always thought this might be interesting how you were gonna do this. A lion's cub, a lion, and a lioness. How you distinguish those three. To look at that on the video later. But all three speak of majesty and strength. The kingship of Israel would come from Judah, the scepter. And it would be in his line until it comes upon the one for whom tribute belongs. And that's Jesus Christ. There's such wonderful pictures of beauty and abundance here. In verses 11 and 12, he tethers his donkey to a vine. Now, unless you're a farmer, you have no clue what this means. But if you have a grapevine, the last thing you would do would be to tether your donkey to it. He would eat it up. But the fact that you have so many vines across the land, you don't even care. There is so much abundance. Tether your donkey to the vine. Let him eat it up because we have got plenty. He will wash his garments in wine, his robes in the blood of wine. Of course, we want to think of communion, and I think there is an imagery there of communion and being washed in the blood of Christ. But also, I want you to see abundance. You know how, like, um, if if a sports team wins the final championship, they take champagne, and they just shake it, and they just spray it on everyone. You guys aren't sports people, I get it. But anyway, this is, an, this is an expression of extravagance. Champagne costs a lot of money. So the act that you would take champagne and use it to just spray on people is an act of waste. But you have so much. Wine is valuable. You have so much of it, you just spread it out. You wash your clothes in your wine. His eyes will be darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. In other words, he is the perfect expression of what humanity should be. He's healthy. He's, he's exuberant. He's this man of uh, perfection. David was initially kind of described this way as a young man, but then fails later in life. But Jesus is going to be perfect. Perfect. 
Now, he wasn't perfect as he walked the earth this time in the sense that he was not anything special. But when you see Jesus in glory, you better believe he's going to be awesome. This is a messianic passage. You see, it is in the coming of this Messiah that every Israelite should put their trust. Don't look to Reuben as your covenant head. Don't look to Levi as your covenant head or Simeon as your covenant head. Look to this guy coming. That's where your hope is. And it's not by accident that we are told in the New Testament that every spiritual blessing is ours in Jesus Christ. Not just a ragtag kind of blessing that's not really a blessing. We have everything in Jesus Christ. That's who we are. Let's keep moving. Verse 13, Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea. He shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be Sion. Zebulun doesn't live by the shore. If you understand Zebulun, Zebulun is landlocked right in this area here. She's not all the way over here. She's not all the way over there. She's landlocked. That's kind of a problem for us. And it's a problem no matter how you slice it, except to say that Zebulun's destiny has not been fully fulfilled. Verses 14 and 15, Issachar. Issachar is a strong donkey crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant at forced labor. Now Issachar is equated with a strong donkey, and the interpretation is hazy. Some commentators say it's an image of stubbornness. Some say it's an image of being hardworking. Others say it's an image of being lazy. In the end, she lives in a beautiful place, but she's not able to enjoy it. And she becomes a servant of forced labor. Not the sort of blessing I would want. And again, who would you be saying at this point, can I go back and get Judah's blessing? Dan, 16 and 17. Dan shall be a judge of, shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that the rider falls backward. Now Dan's prophecy is also confusing. There are various attempts to try to fulfill this, see it fulfilled. Some think it refers to Samson. I think that's a bit of a stretch. There's no place where Dan's tribe is designated to be judges. We're just not certain. But instead, we have disappointment because instead of justice, we have a poisonous snake that is the tribe of Dan. Can you see that every blessing so far other than Judah is an anti-blessing? Verse 18 is the poetic center of the whole passage. And it is not a statement of blessing to Dan or to any other tribes individually. It is Jacob entering in his own voice into this. And so in verse 18, he says, I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Right in the midst of giving blessing to all of his kids that are kind of anti-blessings, he says, yeah, but the one we're really waiting for is your blessing, God. I'm waiting for your redemption. I want the blessing that you will bring through your Messiah. 
you guys realize that this is the very first place in Scripture that uses the name Yeshua, salvation. It will become commonplace throughout Scripture. Yeshua. Psalm 3.8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Do you see how for after this time it's like, oh yes, I don't, they don't get excited about the blessing of Reuben or Simeon or Issachar. They're always waiting, Lord, I want your salvation. I want to wait for your salvation. We have seen that Messiah come in the Lord Jesus Christ. But we're still waiting for it. You see, your inheritance, your future in the eternal kingdom can no longer be messed up. Why can it not be messed up? Because your king went through his test entirely he, he won the victory. He died and rose again. And he's seated at the heavenly throne in heaven, perfect in all of his glory. He is your covenant head. Verse 19. Let's finish up the tribes. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at their heels. Ah, you might like this blessing if, if you're like a feisty warrior kind of person. But it's not the kind of thing you would be excited about, right? This is not really a true blessing either. It's another disappointment. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Asher's kind of good, except that his blessings he doesn't enjoy for himself. Who does he give them to? The king. Takes you back to Judah again. 29, or verse 21, Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. I don't really understand how that's fulfilled. Leave it at that. But then we come to Joseph. And if you remember from last week, Joseph got a pretty good blessing, right? Joseph is a fruitful bough. A fruitful bough by, the, by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The idea is that his blessing actually gets, whoo, keeps going. It's bigger than his area, just keeps going. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, harassed him severely, and yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile, by, and this is the key, by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, by the God of your father who will help you, by the almighty who will bless you, with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that crouches beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents, up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph and on the brow of him who was set apart from his brothers. You see, what we get to when we get to the blessing of Joseph is the real blessing. If Judah's blessing helped us to see that it came in the Messiah, the one king to come, uh, Joseph's blessing helps us to see that it's bigger than any of the, these individual blessings to the people. Blessings from heaven. Blessings that go down into the depths 
blessings of breasts and of the womb, blessings of your Father Almighty, up to the everlasting hills. I don't think this is going to be fulfilled until the new heavens and the new earth. And why are they fulfilled? Because of God, the rock of Israel, the mighty one of Jacob, the Messiah will come. You see, the blessing is procured through Judah, but the greatness of the blessing is pronounced in Joseph. Verse 27, Benjamin is a ravenous wolf in the morning devouring the prey and at evening dividing the spoil. Again, Benjamin's right in the middle. It's where uh, Saul comes from and there's just turmoil in that area. Not a good thing. So here's the question. Who do you want as your covenant head? Every parent in this room functions in a little micro way as a covenant head. Every father, even mothers to some extent, but every father. And you have the ability in a small microcosm kind of way to either bring blessing or cursing upon your kids. And if anybody here as a parent has been a parent for a long time, you understand that your parenting is a mixture Some successes, some good things, but mixed with a lot of muck. And you need to ask yourself this question. Am I pointing my kids to a blessing that only comes from me? Or am I pointing them to the blessing that is secured by Jesus Christ? You see, I don't want a blessing that is suitable to me. I would get an anti-blessing. And I would give my kids an anti-blessing in many ways. I want the blessing that Jesus Christ has secured as my covenant head. The one kept in heaven for me. Now I know that every person in this room ought to try to strive to be the best Christian that they should be. Living under their covenant head. And I know that your actions do have uh, value in your daily life. But I'm telling you, there is no other factor that is more determinative for your future than that you are connected to the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith alone in Christ alone. And so I would encourage us to make Genesis 49.18 our heart cry. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. That's what we do. And when we take communion, we are basically saying to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is your work, your blood has purchased the blessings that I will receive. Some of those are eternal glories. Some of those are uh, conquering sin in the present. There's a lot of blessings that you get from Christ, both present and future, but they all flow from the fountain of his life. He is your covenant head. Where Adam failed, Christ has succeeded. That's the gospel message. Amen.